0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, intracameral antibiotics.
1: Why not? Generally speaking, the US FDA requires at least two randomized clinical trials with corresponding outcomes before they will approve a new medication. First this.
0: Imagine a library of a hundred thousand books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org slash learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ascrs.org learn. Intracameral antibiotics administered during cataract surgery hold a number of advantages, including reduced reliance on patients to be compliant with post-op antibiotic drops. So why is their use not more widespread? Steve Schwartz authored an editorial in Ophthalmology discussing the potential pitfalls of intracameral antibiotics, and I'm happy to have him as my guest today. How common is acute post-cataract endophthalmitis, Steve?
1: I don't know that there is a single number. When you review the literature, the the rates generally fall in a range between about 0.03% or 3 in 10,000 on the low end to about 0.2% or 2 in 1,000 on the high end.
0: Now Steve I I travel to to a to a lot of meetings in a lot of places outside of the US and it's my sense that the use of intracameral antibiotics is just more accepted in Europe and in Asia than in the US. Why do you think this is?
1: Well, I don't I don't know that I can speak for ophthalmologists outside the US. But certainly many practice patterns are different within the U.S. and outside the U.S. and in a lot of areas of ophthalmology and a lot of areas of medicine. But if I had to give you an answer, I suspect that the ESCRS had a lot to do with this disparity.
0: And we'll be dealing with the ESCRS study a little bit later on in our our conversation. So I'm just going to table that now. Um, we're, We're going to be dealing with sort of both sides uh, of, of the story, because there really are two sides. Let me start out asking you if there's any evidence that intracameral antibiotics are of benefit in, in the context of cataract surgery and, and ophthalmitis.
1: Well, the the strongest evidence is always if you have a well-controlled, randomized clinical trial. And actually, there is a randomized clinical trial on this, and it was uh, conducted by the ESCRS. It was published in uh, 2007. And then other than that, there hasn't been a second randomized clinical trial to my knowledge. There have been many, many observational series reported within the last year or two
0: Steve this uh conversation follows on an editorial that that you that you wrote which is responding uh to a study published in ophthalmology in June of 2016 can I can I get you to describe the the current study the the Cruzet Gaucher study in ophthalmology what that study was
1: Well, I I think that this study is, uh, is a very good example of what I was saying before, that in the last year or two, there have been many, many observational case series reported of large series of cataract surgeries with and without intracameral antibiotics and comparing endophthalmitis rates within the two cohorts. And the one in question, the Cruzo garsher study, is the largest that I'm aware of. It's over 6 million eyes over a period of about 10 years operated in France. And during the course of the 10-year observation period, earlier on, the use of intracameral antibiotics was infrequent. Later on, the use of intracameral antibiotics was more frequent. And the rate of acute-onset postoperative endophthalmitis following cataract surgery declined from 0.15% earlier in the study to 0.05% later in the study, which is about a three-fold decrease, which was highly statistically significant. And the authors described this as the use of intracameral antibiotics increased during the period where the rate of endophthalmitis decreased.
0: So they, they, they attributed this change... Uh, to the increasing adoption of intracameral antibiotics. Now, the advantage of retrospective studies like this is that they can include huge study populations. One downside is that the study arms often aren't contemporaneous, as they weren't in, in this study, and therefore other variables may be introduced, like changes in surgical technique. I know that I'm not doing cataract surgery now in 2016 the way that I was doing it in 2006.
1: Right. So if the endophthalmitis rate is lower in 2016 than it was in 2006, it could be for many reasons.
0: Now, prospective randomized control studies are preferable, but they're difficult to conduct when the incidence of pathology, in this case endophthalmitis, is so low. The ESCRS did conduct such a study. Can I get you to describe the ESCRS study uh, that you alluded to earlier
1: for me? Well, the ESCRS study was exactly an example of a of a prospective randomized controlled clinical trial. It couldn't be completely double masked because the the uh, cataract surgeon either used intracameral antibiotics or did not. But uh, that the series divided patients randomized into four different arms with and without topical levofloxacin and with and without uh, intracameral cefuroxime. So some patients received neither, some patients received both, some patients received one or the other. And the sort of executive summary of the, of the results was an approximate five-fold decrease in rates of endopto associated with intracameral cefuroxime. So it went from about 0.2% in eyes not randomized intracameral antibiotics to about 0.04% in the eyes that were randomized to receive intracameral antibiotics. Do you know why
0: levofloxacin was was chosen?
1: I don't know why levofloxacin was chosen, and I think that's probably a good question for the the, the investigators of the of the study. But there, there there have been a few criticisms of the ESCRS study, and I think this is part of the reason why it hasn't caught on to the degree that it might have. Uh, generally speaking, the US FDA requires at least two randomized clinical trials with. Uh, with corresponding outcomes before they will approve a new medication. And the and I think this is a good example of why, because if you only have one study, even though it's the highest quality evidence that there is, it, it may or may not be convincing. And the, the major criticism of the ESCRS study was that the two arms out of the forearms that were not treated with intracameral Cephiroxium had relatively high rates of endophthalmitis. And again, that's that 0.2% number that we were talking about earlier. So if you, for whatever reasons, have a group of patients with a high rate of endophthalmitis, then it might make the intracameral antibiotics look better than they really are
0: i i follow what you're saying that I, it, it, that another way to view it is is that if this population really isn't representative of the numbers we have here can we extrapolate the intracameral uh data now there 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 are two sides to this coin let me ask you have the adverse events been observed with the use of intracameral antibiotics
1: well, of course they've been observed with intercaramel antibiotics. I think any time that you as a physician treat a patient with antibiotics using any delivery mechanism for any indication, there are, there are three potential bad things that could happen. Number one is that you incur costs. And I, I think it's pretty fair to say that as we move forward into the, the new healthcare environment with MACRA and who knows what else is coming, that there's going to be a lot of pressure on us to decrease costs. And number two, there are risks to the individual patient by exposing them to antibiotics, and certainly with intracameral antibiotics, uh, in the U.S., there is no approved, marketed antibiotic preparation preparation indicated for intraocular use, so you're probably dealing with a compounding pharmacy, and there are always risks of overdoses and contaminants and other problems with any compounded medication other things that can happen with intracameral antibiotics that have been well reported are things like toxic anterior segment syndrome, corneal endothelial toxicity, uh, fungal or fusarium infection and uh, that that the most recent and maybe the scariest uh, side effect that we've seen associated with intracameral vancomycin is something called hemorrhagic occlusive retinal vasculitis which causes severe visual loss with no apparent treatment and it may not present for a few weeks after the surgery, by which time the second eye has already been operated on. And then the third thing, when we're, you know, once we've accounted for the increased cost and the risks to the specific patient, and to whom you can fuse these, uh, these off-label antibiotics, is there are risks to the population at large, and it's usually by selecting for resistant organisms.
0: Now, can these events, and, and and I'm thinking particularly those dealing with contamination and potential dosing problems, can these events be largely addressed by the use of antibiotic preparations that are commercially prepared for intracameral use? And are such commercial preparations available in the U.S. or at, at, at least in the pipeline for the U.S.?
1: Well, I, I I think in general, right, having an approved, prepackaged, indicated Medication reduces many of the concerns about using a compounded medication. And I think the retina specialists have done this for years with the anti VEGF drugs. So, certainly, if you're a believer in the benefits of caramel antibiotics, it would probably be better to use an approved prepackaged indicated formulation than to use a compounded formulation. But the second part of your question is that no, in the United States at this time, there is no available. Packaged, approved, indicated antibiotic preparation. There is in Europe. Yep. You discuss
0: and, and, and alluded to now the, the idea of antibiotic stewardship and, and the idea of limiting the development of antibiotic resistance. But Steve, how likely is it that resistance would develop in the closed environment of the of the eye?
1: Well, it's, it's estimated that maybe half of all antibiotic use in the U.S. is unnecessary or inappropriate. And I think that, that we all have a sense that more patients are treated with antibiotics than probably need to be. And you raise a good question of, of if we're only putting the antibiotics in the eye, how much is getting out? But I think it's fair to say that at least some of it probably does reflux out of the eye and onto the ocular surface. And then where it goes from there is a good question. Some of it will probably find its way into the lacrimal drainage system. And then we know that some of it, once it gets into the lacrimal drainage system, is going to make it into the GI tract. So I think patients probably are being exposed to at least some degree of antibiotic, even though you're putting it uh, very very carefully into the anterior chamber.
0: Steve, intraocular, intracameral medications and, and intraocular medications generally, and I'm thinking now, of glaucoma medications and uveitis medications that are administered intraocularly, uh, they hold the benefit of reduced reliance on patient compliance. Do do you feel that some of this outweighs some of the expense and some of the risk of adverse events associated with intracameral antibiotics. These are really some of the main arguments that people make in terms of of compliance, aside from just the decreased numbers of uh, acute postoperative endophthalmitis.
1: Well, I I think it's reasonable to suspect that compliance increases when the patient's removed from from the equation. It's almost a tautology at that point. But I I have a few questions to that. I I guess the first question or the first statement is is that the benefits of post-operative topical antibiotics are not as well established as we'd all perhaps like to think. And even though topical antibiotics are widely and perhaps universally used after cataract surgery, there's very little peer-reviewed evidence suggesting that that's necessary. And then the, the, the second thing that's a little related is that it might even be more important to use post-operative topical corticosteroids. So intracameral antibiotics are not going to obviate the need for post-operative topical steroids.
0: Right. So, so we're going to be relying on uh, uh, patient compliance for, for putting in drops. And your point is that it really makes no matter the sort of drop that the patient's putting in. It's not that he's going to necessarily be more compliant with one class of medication than another.
1: Well, I'm sure there are some patients that probably can't be trusted to instill postoperative drops no matter what, and I think that's, that's always a risk when you perform surgery. I think there are some patients that you can't trust not to rub their eye with a sutureless incision. Steve,
0: the most important question from my standpoint, because I'm totally selfish and this conversation just about me, is I'm a cataract surgeon. Steve, what should I do?
1: Well, I'm, I'm not a cataract surgeon, and I don't know that it's really appropriate for me to tell you what to do, but I think it's, it's fair to talk about the evidence. And the best available evidence is always a randomized clinical trial, and we do have one sort of imperfect randomized clinical trial, but that's certainly better than nothing. Um, again, the FDA usually wants at least two trials before they'll approve a medication, so we're not at that level of convincing evidence. I, I think a related issue is, you know, you haven't mentioned this term, but I'll mention it, is is what is the standard of care in the United States at this time? And obviously, standard of care is not a medical term. It's a legal term, and standards of care are different between nations and sometimes within nations, and certainly standards of care evolve over time, but with only one clinical trial and no indicated drug available in the U.S., even if you wanted to use it, and many, many, many observational series like the Cruzo garsher series, which are very impressive when you see a a paper with 6 million cataract operations on it, but still, that's not a randomized clinical trial. So when you put all that together, especially when you start to consider the potential downsides of intracameral antibiotic use and the concept of uh, antibiotic stewardship, in my opinion, intracameral antibiotics are not the standard of care in the United States in the year 2016, and that you as an individual practicing cataract surgeon should not feel compelled to use them, at least not right now.
0: Yeah and and one of the points that that you that you make too i mean another way to view this is the number of patients who have to receive intracameral antibiotics in order to prevent one case we uh, in the
1: in the editorial we did a what's called a number needed to treat the uh, calculation and the number needed to treat is how many patients have to be exposed to the intervention in order to prevent one unfavorable outcome. And for example, in 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 the 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 Cruzo Garsher study, right, there was about a threefold drop in, in in endophthalmitis rates associated with antibiotics. So if we give the study the benefit of a doubt and assume that that's correct, that if every patient was treated with intracameral cefuroxime, that you could cut your rate of endophthalmitis threefold, how many eyes would have to be treated in order to to prevent one case of endophthalmitis. So to continue that, we found two series in the literature that took place around the time of the ESCRS study, so in the mid-2000s. And between the two of them, they had a rate of endophthalmitis with no intracameral antibiotics of about 0.06%. So that's really a, a very low rate, with no intracameral antibiotics. And if you wanted to try to reduce that threefold you'd have to drop the endophthalmitis rate from about 6 in 10,000 to about 2 in 10,000. So it means that you need to treat about 10,000 eyes to prevent four cases of endophthalmitis or bottom line, you need to treat about 2,500 patients with antibiotics unnecessarily to prevent one case of endophthalmitis. And as much as we'd all like to do everything we can to prevent that one case of in that one poor patient. I'm not sure it's fair to expose the other 2,500 patients to the antibiotics. There have been many, many observational series published in the last year or two with very impressive ends, very impressive numbers of patients, like the 6 million in this Cruso-Garsher study. And I think the reason that you're seeing these is that Lots of people have electronic medical records now, so it's very easy to do these big data chart review studies because there aren't charts. So you see more and more of these publications, and you almost get a sense that that it's inevitable, that there's this, this drumbeat of paper after paper from different countries around the world, although mostly in Europe showing these highly statistically significant p-values associated with the use of intracarameal antibiotics. And my suggestion would be that it doesn't really matter, that until you have probably another randomized clinical trial, that this is going to be an open question. And no matter how many observational series that are published, it's, it's, it's probably not enough to turn the tide.
0: Steve, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Sure, thank you very much. Steve
0: Schwartz is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Medical Director at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute at Naples, in Naples, Florida. His editorial, Intracameral Antibiotics and Cataract Surgery End Up the Midas Rates, Costs and Stewardship, appears in the July 2016 issue of Ophthalmology. ask questions of Dr. Schwartz or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iworld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.